You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Well, Chad, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It is such an honor to have you on the program today. Yeah, thank you. I'm just delighted to be here and spend some time with you, chatting with you about my faith here. Well, I'd love to dive into that. And for those people that have not heard of you, Chad, you are well-known in the Olympic world for winning a gold medal in speed skating. I'd love to hear about that. And also now you're involved and have been for years in real estate in the Houston market. But please share a bit about your backstory prior to coming to faith and about your athletic experiences. Yeah, so I had just a normal childhood. Grew up here in North Houston, and uh, my father actually owned a roller rink here in in North Houston and learned how to walk on a pair of skates when I was 16 months old or so. Wow. And it's really all that I knew growing up. While my parents were operating their family business, we didn't have a ton of money to to have a nanny or a babysitter or whatever. So the joke is that hung out at the roller rink with a pocket full of tokens, eating Frito pies and living a life that's probably much different than most kids. And But what I did find out is that from the beginning, I love to skate and I love to skate fast. We started skating uh, at the rink, doing fast skates with all my friends. And then slowly, we just we just decided we were going to start a speed skating team within the rink there. And all of us just love to skate fast. So it went from about six or eight people up to at one point, I think we had 65 people on the team. This started with conventional roller skates. And then in 1993, We actually started racing on inline skates. We found that we could go much faster on on inline skates than the conventional roller skates. But the moral of the story is I never really knew where it was going to take me. All I knew is that I absolutely loved doing it. And I think that's great wisdom for people listening is to not worry about where it's going to take you, but worry about doing something that you absolutely love because it's much easier to be great at something that you love than trying to figure out a way to like something that you think has a very bright light at the end of the Mm. tunnel. And so I think that's kind of the thing that really pushed me is just the passion for my sport. Traveled growing up, we started traveling at a young age to different roller rinks across the country and I became national champion at eight years old. Um, and just skated all the way up growing up. And I became world champion on inline skates. Nobody really even knew what inline speed skating was, but I was the world champion, the fastest skater in the world. While everybody had rollerblades in their garage, I could look you in the face and tell you that I was the fastest man on earth <laughs> at just 17 years old. So I love it was kind of cool. Yeah, very cool. I'm just curious, how fast could you go on the inline skates? About 38 miles an hour, believe it or not. Wow. I couldn't imagine doing that on inline skates. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's just, uh, it was crazy. I mean, just the evolution of the equipment that we use and how we were able to really 
transform a sport to be there at the beginning of a sport when rollerblades came out and changing from a three-wheel skate to a four-wheel to a five-wheel to bigger wheels to all this stuff that's going on in order for you know people to skate well over 40 miles an hour today and just absolutely super cool i didn't graduate from public high school i actually had four sponsors that paid for me to go to private school. I would spend every other weekend overseas skating in competitions. I think I made six figures at at 18 years old. I would come home to the sporting goods stores and see all the products that I had designed on the walls at the sporting goods stores when everybody everybody had rollerblades. It was just a completely different world. And I was able to travel to 42 different countries during that time and just develop some really cool relationships with other athletes that I competed with that I still enjoy having today. Tell me one experience you had traveling that was totally different, totally unique. Well, I went to Moscow in 2004. And I got in a cab and the cab driver, obviously, we didn't speak the same language and I didn't know the exchange rate. And he wanted to charge me more than what made sense to me. And I actually got kind of semi abducted for a little while. And Russia is probably not the right place to get taken away and, and for somebody to get upset with you. But I ended up getting out of the car about a mile down the road. But the guy was yelling at me and not very happy with me. But I thought things were going to get pretty hairy for a little while. <laughs> right. How old were you at the time? Uh, probably late 20s, something like that. This was just when I had started ice speed skating and kind of starting my Olympic dream with uh, with jumping on the ice and learning how to skate on ice skates rather than inline skates. Well, tell me about that transition to ice skating and how that led you to the Olympics. Yeah. So when I would tell people that I was the fastest inline speed skater in the world, nobody really even knew what I was talking about. And to be quite honest, I wanted the notoriety. I wanted the fame. I wanted the the financial gain from it. I was uh, able to really be able to provide well for myself. But like I said, I would tell people what I did and they had no clue what I was, what I was doing. Yeah. So I decided that I was going to pack up and move to Salt Lake City and I was going to uh, start training at the Olympic Oval in Salt Lake City that was built for the 2002 Olympics. And I moved out there. In fact, I didn't even have a jacket at the time. I had to go and get a new <laughs> wardrobe. Because you're from Houston, right? You don't need a jacket in Houston. <laughs> yeah. So going from Houston to Utah, completely different climate. Yeah. And I got out there and this was a moment where you go from being the best at something to just another face in the crowd trying to find a way to to start a new goal or start a new dream. And I went out there and for the first two, three, four weeks, I mean, I was just, I was so frustrated. I was so discouraged and I almost packed it up and moved back home three weeks after I signed my apartment contract there to, to see if, to see if this was real. But I looked at myself in the mirror and there was a moment where I said, you know what? I've changed my life to come out here and I can either really dig in and show everybody what I'm made of or I can live with myself forever thinking, what if? And right then and there, I determined that I was going to give it all. And from that moment, look at myself in the mirror, 17 months after that, I was announced world champion in Norway 
at the world championships and there had been past Olympic greats that had been there, Bonnie Blair, Dan Jansen, all of these people that had no clue who I was. And then all of a sudden, I'm on ABC World Sports at that time, and they're crowning me world champion less than two years from starting a, a new sport and, and trying to live a new dream. So it just happened overnight per se, but I go back to 16 months old and spending six to eight hours every day at that roller rink. You know, when you made that decision looking at yourself in the mirror, you must have had this deep conviction that went with it. It's so hard to, to transition. Okay, and this, where, this is where it relates with everybody in the world. We've all got a career. We've all got a job. We all have specific roles that we have in our family. And those roles change in our life. And so transitions are very important to be able to overcome and to be able to understand what you need to do to succeed. In order to prevail, everything takes work. There's nothing that's worth anything that comes easy. And my, my story is just proof of that. And um, I'm just thankful that sports has taught me so much to not only compete at a high level while I was an athlete, but it's so valuable for me today. Well, you had a major transition in your life when you came to faith in Christ. Please share that. Yeah. So, man, this is one of those moments. There's a lot of things that happen where you just you don't know what's right around the corner waiting on you. And being the best in the world at something, being a CEO, being a world champion, being an Olympic champion, all these things, unfortunately, come with a lot of pride. There's confidence that's required to be in each of those positions. Sometimes that confidence can go over the line and it turns into a filthy amount of pride and an ego and manipulation and quite honestly an attitude that you think that your way is the only way to succeed and no one else's opinion really matters and so that was my life i was never connecting with people unless i felt that they were that there was some gain for me to accomplish the goal that I had envisioned. I had no real friendships. And quite honestly, I I was defined by how fast I could go on a pair of skates and, and nothing more than that. So in 2006, I had the opportunity to be the first event for the Winter Olympics in Torino, Italy, right outside of Milan. I was the reigning world champion in the 5,000 meter. I went out there and I I warmed up. And there was something different that day. This race, it's about three miles, usually after about halfway or in between one to one and a half miles into it. You're pretty gassed. Your legs are on fire. You're just in bad shape. I warmed up that day and I'll never forget. I just felt like I was skating in clouds. There was this strange sensation in my legs, like they were just like completely numb. Every stroke, every push was like there was no friction there was no no tension hmm. and i was just flying around the rink and warm up and it came time for the race as soon as they shot the gun it was 12 and a half laps around the 400 meter tracks for, for those that have seen it before in the olympics and i just remember i really wasn't in a lot of pain until probably nine laps into the race and i just knew 
I had this overwhelming sense that this race was mine. It was just, it was my day. And I went across the line at six minutes and 14 seconds, which was almost an Olympic record. But the conditions of the track that day were substantially slower. The ice conditions can change due to humidity, due to altitude, all that stuff. The ice can get sticky. There's just a lot of variables like there is in every sport. This track was really slow. And I went across in six minutes and 14 seconds. I think it was about three-tenths of a second from an Olympic record. Wow. And that Olympic record was set on the fastest ice in the world in Salt Lake City. And I just looked up at the scoreboard and I saw that I had won the first gold medal for our country. And I had four additional events for the Olympics. So I couldn't really give it all the attention. I I wish it would have been my only event, to be honest, because then I probably would have been able to enjoy it much more. But I had to refocus on additional events every two or three days Mm -hmm. throughout that whatever, two, three weeks, whatever it is. So after you win, they call you into this this area it's like i compare it to if you've watched forrest gump when he's speaking and you've got everybody just a a sea of people as he's speaking just listening to every word that he's saying as he's giving that speech but i that was the vision that i had when they called my name chad hedrick 5000 meter gold medal team usa and i stepped up to the podium they put the gold medal around my neck there's music there's you know a big tv screen there's just a moment where it's my time, right? Yeah. And all I could envision was people in the past crying and jumping up and down and the biggest smile on their face. You know, everything that we think of as Americans when it comes to sports and the Olympics. That was kind of the vision that went through my mind. I had 35 people from Houston that came along and were supporting me. And I looked at them and I was overwhelmed with this feeling. Just this feeling and this like absurd thought that I've spent my whole life to do this, to accomplish this goal, to tell people that I'm the best in the world, to be famous, to be rich, to do all these things. And I got up there with that gold medal around my neck and I thought to myself, is this really all this is about? I thought it was going to feel so much better. Wow. And what I realized was that day that my soul was empty. My soul was empty because of my behavior leading to that moment and the manipulation that was involved in the lack of true relationship in my life. There was so much missing and so much sacrificed to get that little piece of metal that was around my neck with a ribbon. And I was absolutely blown away and I could not believe I felt like I was robbed of that moment. And ultimately, over the next 18 months, I realized that my life was nothing more than just how fast I could go on a pair of skates, just like I told you. And I needed more. If the thing that I idolized, the thing that I put every minute of the day into since I was 16 months old, if that can't satisfy me, what will? In reflection over the next year, or 18 months really brought me to my knees. And it showed me that the only thing that was going to satisfy me was a relationship with Christ. And I knew right then and there that was his only way of meeting me was by locating me and speaking to me at the biggest moment of my life. Man, 
What an experience to feel that way and to feel robbed. And then you wind up within 18 months on your knees. Explain what happened. I had to go back and backtrack my life and the cocky, abrasive, second place is the first loser attitude. Mm, Yeah. That's what I was taught growing up. Second place is the first loser. And you know what? All we can do is go out there and do our best and glorify God. But the thing that haunted me for so long was being on that podium with microphones and newspapers from all over the world wanting to hear me give God the glory. And I took it all myself because I was worried about being on David Letterman. I was worried about the next endorsement. I was worried about who was going to notice me when I got home. And at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. That does not matter. And today, I'm I'm reminded daily of that. And it doesn't matter if I'm a gold medalist. It doesn't matter if I'm a CEO. It doesn't matter if I'm a trash man. All that matters is that we live for something that's greater than ourselves. Chad, when you gave your life to Christ, where were you? Believe it or not, my wife had grown up going to church here in Houston. We ended up, it took me a couple of years to really, I mean, a guy that's as prideful as, as I was. It took a while to really say, hey, this is a commitment that I'm going to make and I'm not coming back. In 2009, before my second Olympics in, in Vancouver, my wife and I actually got, got baptized together. And nothing on earth today satisfies my soul more than sharing the story of a broken man who accomplished everything he had ever set out for himself. That's my purpose. My purpose now is days like today when there's one person listening right now, just one that says, you know what? I've got it all. Or maybe I don't, but my heart hurts and it's life-changing. It's life-changing to live in a way that you're not always thinking about how you can gain something or how you can learn to love others around you, how you can stop judging people who do things differently. Why don't we pause here for a moment, Chad, and let's pray for our listeners, okay? Yeah. I'm going to ask you to pray for anybody that might be struggling with their faith or even considering giving their life to Christ. Would you do that real quick, please? Uh, We just come to you today. We thank you for everybody who's lended an ear today to listen to the story of just a normal guy, the story of a guy who loved to skate, a guy that gave everything to become the best, a guy that became the best and realized there was something missing. Lord, I just ask you to open the hearts of everyone today to give them a sneak peek of your love, your goodness. I just ask for you to just dissect their heart, Lord, and show them a life that's greater than anything they could ever imagine, Lord. Show them a life that, like the life that you've given me. Not a perfect life, but a life that really matters. A life that impacts the people around them. That people say, man, there's something different about that guy or that girl. That's the life that fulfills. Lord, I just 
ask for you to speak to them today. Ask for those that have a heart to share a story like this. It doesn't have to be an Olympic gold medalist. It doesn't have to be anything spectacular, Lord, but just a life that is vulnerable, a life that shows brokenness and the redemption that you've given us through your word, Lord. Lord, I know once they taste it once, they're not coming back. I just ask for you to open their eyes and their hearts. Lord, we're all broken. We're all needing something greater than ourselves. And I ask that you lay every bit of pride, every ego, every bit of selfishness, and invite each of these people into into the kingdom today, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chad, for praying. So next couple questions here relate to what's happened since then. And you started a real estate business in Houston. When did you start that, Chad? I started the business almost five years ago, and my wife came up with a nifty name called the Gold to Sold Group. Mm -hmm. I love it. And from the outside, it looks as if it's gold medal to selling homes, Mm -hmm. but really, it's much deeper than that. It has a lot to do with my faith that I'm sold on the life that God has opened for me, a life, believe it or not. I took advantage of all these relationships for a year or for years. And the and the occupation, the business that I have now is about thriving relationships. <laughs> and so I have been transformed through my job, through relationships that I would have taken advantage of before. But now I value, I appreciate, and I nurture. And it's just, it's comical to me how this has happened. And listeners out there, when you open your life to the kingdom, you will see an incredible sense of humor from God (laughs) in every step you take if you're committed. And he will open the doors. He'll open doors that you just never thought would be possible, and he'll do it in a way that's so comical and with so much meaning, and it just blows me away. Now that you're in this business, Chad, I think that you have opportunity to really minister to people and pray with them and develop the kind of relationship that you didn't have before with people. Can you share an experience that's occurred in the past five years that speaks to that? I want to do business with people that want to do business with me. And with that comes people that are like-minded or the people that God puts in front of me to impact. That's my, that's my duty. That's my responsibility as a son of God. Now I pray with people at kitchen tables. It's amazing. And sometimes these people that they may or may not be ready to hear it, but I can tell you this, when I walk out of that house, God is smiling and it feels so good. It feels so good because I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this to boost my ego or make me look like Mr. Macho. But when you pass the glory on to some somebody else, you'd be amazed how good it feels. I spoke to 75 CEOs two weeks ago leading up to that. 
there was this vision that God put in my head. And as leaders, as influential people, as successful people, we take all of this, all these compliments, all this idolatry, all these people wanting to get a raise by maybe saying the right thing to you or complimenting you consistently. Most people, and myself included for a long time, microphones in your face, this, that, everybody's always wanting to hear your word. And that that pumps your head up a little bit. But if we're able, God gave me the vision. He said, you're a sponge, okay? You're a sponge. All these people are feeding you. And the water is just soaking up in this sponge and you're just accepting it and accepting and you're thriving on it to build yourself up. You build your own confidence to, to take the glory. But what if we were to do the exact opposite and we were able to use this platform that we have as leaders and it doesn't matter who you are. You're a leader to somebody. Somebody is looking up to you. Somebody values you. And with that, what if we were able to squeeze that sponge and squirt that water all over everybody around us and refresh everybody who needs something greater than what they have? Yeah. And it blew me away. And I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about being a sponge that just and just squeezing it daily. How do you pray over your business these days? What's been kind of your consistent prayer? Prayer for the right people to come along and to be associated with the right people who need to be impacted, the right people who have values that, that are in line with mine, to bring people to me that are hurting, to bring partners in that can help me build my business based on not personal gain, finances, all that, but just something that's more meaningful than a business. What's one of the greatest pieces of advice, Chad, that you've taken to heart over the years? I think in my business specifically, a lot of people want to do the work that pays the most per hour, but a lot of people want to bypass the hard work. They want to do the stuff that's the high-paying, high-wage opportunities, but in that process, they forget the dirty work that needs to be done. The dirty work, the going above and beyond for a client, if it's a $200,000 house or if it's a $5 million house, you provide the same dedication, the same sacrifice, and the same investment on relationship. And there's a famous guy in real estate. His name's Tom Ferry. And I'm all about differentiating myself versus other people. And the, the saying that came in, the first month or so that I was in real estate, I was watching YouTube videos and he said, if you're not unique, you're weak. And let me tell you guys, there's no way for you to be more unique in this world than acknowledging the love and the sacrifice that Christ made for you. You can see it. You can feel it. You know it. And it's a beautiful thing. The people that I respect the most in this world are people that aren't trying to impress. The people that don't try to impress are the ones that impress the most. <laughs> people respect me because of my accolades in sports. But when I die, I'm hoping that the growth that I have and my walk, that that comes second 
to the way people feel when they meet me or they interact with me. And if I can do that, that's the biggest accomplishment. As we finish up here, Chad, I'd love to have you pray for our listeners, whatever the Lord put on your heart. (sighs) Just thankful for loving God. I'm thankful that a lost, arrogant soul was saved by accomplishing the biggest thing he thought was possible. And it turned out to be just an opening to a new life. And I just I pray that everybody out there can be very attentive about God's presence in their life. Whether you're a believer or not right now, I pray that everybody knows how God is working in their life and acknowledge it. And if you haven't if you haven't given your life to Christ, have a short conversation with him how real this is. Give him the opportunity to show off and be present in your life because he he will come through. All he wants is for somebody to depend on him. And once you get there to that point, your life will never be the same. Yeah, I agree. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chad, thank you. Thank you for being so vulnerable and open. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. You guys have a wonderful day, okay? You bet. God bless. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.